Good morning, everybody. Uh, great to be here and to have the privilege of uh, sharing with you this morning from God's Word. And um, let me just get myself organized here. The subject that uh, I've been given is a, an amazing subject. Uh, God's uh, mission through the centuries. Through the centuries. How long have you got? Have you bought your packed lunch? I hope so. No, 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 no. But uh, we're going to take a whistle-stop tour uh, through watching what God has done through the centuries, bringing his truth and his word uh, to us. Uh, let me just say right at the beginning here that um, because it's such a huge subject, um, I, I did think that it was right just to, I'm putting that in the fridge tin, um, a couple of books that I have found particularly helpful, um, which are not that well known, and if anybody wants to uh, have a look at them afterwards, I recommend them to you. Number one is this one by Eddie Hyatt, and it's called 2,000 Years of Charismatic Christianity. And it follows the work of the Holy Spirit through the centuries from the early church. It is an amazing book. When you start to read it, I certainly, for me, uh, it's like I can't put it down. It is so exciting. And the second one is this one, The Heart of Church and Mission by Brian Nell. You'll see it's a lot thinner. You can read it in about uh, an hour and a half, maybe two hours, but it takes a similar journey, but a different look at it, and it's really exciting. I couldn't put that book down until I'd finished it. I really do recommend it. These ones I've given out to many ministers. This one is free. If anybody wants to take it from me, first one can get it, okay? There you go. I think Steve put his hand up. There it is. Praise God, isn't he good? So uh, I really want to just focus in on this, and I, as I've prayed about it and tried to hear God's voice, I do believe there's a, a certain aspect of this, uh, what I call a golden thread that flows through what I want to share this morning, which I hope will speak to you. I hope it will change you and transform you, as it has done me as I've prepared. I hope that when you leave this building, you'll be a different person to when you came in. Amen? Oh, gosh. Well, we'll warm up to that one a little bit later, okay. So, um, as, we, as we think about this uh, and put it in the context of that scripture that we've read, I want to particularly, uh, I'm not going to explore that scripture in detail, but remind you of the last few verses, which remind us that there will be a time when false prophets arise. There will be lawlessness that abounds. That there will be a time when the love of many will grow cold. But he that endures to the end will be saved. And that's the thing that I want to build on today because in every generation through the centuries there have been those occasions when the church of Jesus Christ has been under attack. And it's only those who've endured to the end that God has been able to bless and pour his spirit upon that the message may be transported to the next generation. And in truth, I want to say to you this morning, we are in that time. We are the special people. When we were just singing there this morning, and uh, I did remember whether God wanted me to share it after the song, but it came to me very powerful in that last song we sung. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells not just around us, but in us to change us from the inside out. And it's that light within us that becomes the attraction to people who do not know you, Jesus Christ, how we work that out. And in that sense, we are that group of people who I hope your hearts are not growing cold. But we have the responsibility for the next generation. 
And that's a part of what I want to share with you this morning. And that wonderful scripture that has stirred my heart now for many years, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations as a witness to him, and then the end will come. So when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit that fills us to overflowing, we are bringing on the second coming of Jesus Christ. I say that with all my heart. Are you doing that? Is that a testimony that you can have for this last week? That you have been able somehow or other to speak to somebody, to pray for somebody, to lift somebody to the throne of God and say, hallelujah, I've had the privilege of sharing that Jesus that dwells within me. Who knows what that has done within that person's life and heart. And this is the story through the centuries. And that's really what I want you to grasp this morning. I want you to watch a clip now that we're going to put on here because this has really helped me to focus in so that this just doesn't become a history lesson but becomes something that I hope you will take away and live through in this coming week. And uh, it comes from something that is a tradition in Catalonia which is in Spain. Some of you may have seen it before. I think it's fascinating and the spiritual truth at the heart of it, my gosh, if you don't get on your chair and jump up and down, well, never mind. Don't worry about the people who are worried about the chairs. Just jump up and down. Okay. in a group of human towers in Akoya, you will find child from five years to people to 85 years. You can join the Akoya, everybody is welcome, male, female, everybody, it doesn't matter where you are, what do you do, what have you studied, everybody is welcome, it doesn't matter your religion, everybody can do something. It only depends on your weight and on your height. It's not dangerous. We've realized that, for example, our child that they are at the top, they have more risk when they play football at the school, because when we fall, the little few times we fall, we fall one in each other, so it's not a, a direct fall. It happens that people from the same company mm, have the same hobby, make human towers together and sometimes happen that you can step your boss maybe your boss is down and it's only one of the few times in in your life where you can do this and he's happy of course it's very exciting when you are up there trying to do the best and you want to do it higher every time sign up sheet at the back we're going to start that at ncbc everybody's included from five to 85 years male or female. The concept there is that one group of people builds on the shoulders of another. And that is the story of God's work through the centuries, that he builds on the shoulders of those who have gone before. 
I want to just share with you two words of Scripture that come from Hebrews based on this truth that God is looking for those who will not only be people who are standing on the past of what he has done within his kingdom, but those who are also looking for the next generation to those who would be standing on their shoulders as well. After the Hebrews chapter 11, the great journey of faith uh, that uh, the writer of Hebrews takes us on, it says this in chapter 12, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are surrounded. I like to think, I like pictures in that sense, you know, I like to think that up in heaven, whatever heaven is like and wherever it is, you know, that there's all those wonderful, amazing people over the centuries who are looking over there and they're saying, E, David Adams is preaching at NCB this morning. Go for it, David. And he might be saying that to you when you go to work tomorrow. And he might be saying that to you when you're speaking to your neighbors tomorrow. He might be saying that when you're walking down the street and somebody seems to be in trouble. You see, the idea is that God sows something in and through every generation. And at the heart of this is what we call theologically the principle of the remnant. And there's a slide that's going to come up here. This is what we understand the remnant is. We, as the Church of Jesus Christ in the UK are in the single figures as far as percentages are concerned. I think you could say that that's a remnant. That's you and me. But look what this biblical definition of remnant is. According to the remnant principle, which operated throughout the entire course of Bible history and which may be presumed to operate today, God keeps working to accomplish his purposes despite the prevailing culture by calling and empowering one person or a small group to risk all for him. You like that? Does that make the hairs stand up on your back of your neck? Is it you? Could it be your care group that's going to suddenly hear something from God and you're going to risk all because of those known to the group who are not yet in the kingdom of God? There's two questions that I want to leave with you today. I'm going to put them up now and I'm going to put them up at the end of what I want to say. Because this is important from our understanding of where we sit within this journey of the centuries. The two questions are this. Number one, on whose shoulders are you standing today? Give thanks to God. You saw it there on the tower. Each level built on another level. They're standing on one another's shoulders. I stand here before you today because I believe, certainly for one, that I had a praying grandmother. Didn't understand what she was about. Sometimes she did peculiar things, but she prayed. And you'll have people in your life, and you are where you are today because you're standing on the shoulders of those who have shown you something about Jesus that has stirred your heart. It may have been over a long period of time. It may go back a long way. But we can say that that is probably true for all of us. And the church of Jesus Christ stands on the work of God in mission and his love for the world through the centuries. The second question is this. This is the challenge. Who is looking to stand on your shoulders for the next generation? 
pray earnestly. One of the great things that I believe we need to do within church, this may be true of NCBC, I leave it with the leaders, is I believe that every individual, male and female, should be in a mentoring group. We should be with somebody who we're learning from, not because they've got it together, because even the mentors need to be being mentored. But somewhere through the line, we need to be standing on those who have something to share within the context of the kingdom of God that helps us to stand firmer, to be more filled with his love and his power and his spirit. We need to be building that. Too many individuals right through the age group are at sea in their faith because we haven't got that in place in the way that we see it in Scripture. Paul mentored Timothy. Timothy had those in the church that he visited. And right through the centuries, when you see the pattern of how God works in power, everybody is accountable to somebody else and standing on the shoulders of somebody that is encouraging them to move on in the faith. Some of you look that you think I've gone a bit mad. This is going to be a whistle-top tour. Have anybody got travel sickness pills with them? You might need to take them in a moment or two. Okay? Let me show you in a little as quick as I can how all this worked. The first level is the level of the apostles and the early church. Don't need to go into that. You've got your Bibles. You can read the Acts of the Apostles. You can see how they operated. You can see how God moved in. Miriam reminded this morning that when they prayed together, the place shook, and they went out with greater boldness to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The second level, uh, we can roughly say, is from that time unto AD 500. We call it the time of the early church fathers. I'm not going to say anything about all these people, but all these people had a clear encounter with God. They were the remnant. They stood out. They were filled with the Spirit. Many of them, if not most of them, had the gift of prophecy. They had the miraculous signs. There were healings. There were people who were set free because God was moving through the remnant of those people as the church as a whole became more organized and the Spirit left the church because it organized the Holy Spirit out of the way. Groups of people came together and said, this is what we believe the scripture says. God, by his spirit, needs to be in charge. There are many quotes that you can look for. You'll find them in some of the books that uh, I've recommended to you today that will tell you and show you that this is what happened. Here's one that comes up now that uh, I'll just read to you. This is Novation. He said this in one of his writings. This is he, the Holy Spirit, who places prophets in the church, instructs teachers, directs tongues, gives powers and healings, does wonderful work, offers discrimination of spirits, affords powers of government, suggests counsels and orders and arranges whatever other gifts there are of the charismata, thus making the Lord's church everywhere and all in all, perfected and complete. Whew! That's good, isn't it? Like to be there, wouldn't you? Something dynamic that grabs the attention of God's world, which is searching for something. It doesn't know what it's searching for. The church has the treasure. And somehow, we've got to allow it to burst out. The third level is the Middle Ages, often known as the Dark Ages, but God was at work. He didn't let the people go. 
And you can hear about the Cistercians, the Franciscans, the Dominican movements which were founded at that time. And all of them were founded because of people who wanted a hunger of God that they didn't find satisfied within the church. I love this one. There was a group of people that became the preaching friars. I always think about that when I go in the fish shop. You know, I look at the man who's frying the fish and think, are you a preacher? Well, of course, it's not that sort of friar, and you understand that. But the amazing thing about it is that they had a real gifting from God to speak to people in their own language, which, of course, the church was not doing. It was speaking in other uh, la uh, Latin and, and other languages, but they spoke directly to the common people. There were such fathers in the faith as Bernard of Clairvaux. He, he healed lamed people. Deliverance from countless diseases and spirits are recorded in his writings and those who wrote about him. Francis of Assisi, we've all heard about that. Preaching accompanied by great power, prophecy and miracles. And many others through that period who were people who said, we want more of God. This world needs more of God. What does that demand of me? And if you remember nothing else from what I share this morning in this Whistletop tour, ask yourself that question. I feel it so how much, and I must say, and maybe you're the same, I'm not setting myself truly, I'm not setting myself as any different. I watch what's going on in Syria. I watch the pain of people. And I say to myself, and what is my response? Do I pray more for them? Do I beseech God for peace? Do I pray for a man or woman of peace to enter into that situation? And you see, it's always the case when we look at the chaos in God's world that for us as mature Christians, we should say, yes, God, I see it. And Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And that's the heart cry of those people in that way. Now remember the tower that we're building, one shoulder upon a shoulder. And as the, as the centuries moved past and people were learning and understanding from what had happened in the past, we come to the fourth level, which was between 1500 and 1850. Some amazing people. We all know of Martin Luther, the Reformation, revival. You read his story, records of the miraculous power of God. People set free from evil spirits and healings took place. The Anabaptist movement, which we could say was a little bit back in our background as well, an amazing movement of people who said, we are not satisfied. We are not going to be told what we've got to believe. We are going to search God for ourselves and live it as the Bible said it. And the Anabaptist movement saw amazing things that happened. The missionary movement of the Moravian church, Count Zinzendendorf, some of you will have heard his name, in Hernhort. Pete Gregg mentioned it in the book, if some of you read the book Dirty Glory, and talks about that fact. An amazing modern day, at that time, missionary movement. And what did they see? The amazing power of God working for those who were 100% committed and took risks for the kingdom of God. John Wesley, who learned a lot from the Moravians and had visited them, the founder of Methodism, which became a great missionary movement around the world. The great awakening that took place in the 1700s with Jonathan Edwards and his ministry movement saw thousands of people come to faith 
and saw the miraculous there as well. William Carey, who we all know as Good Baptist, founder of the English Baptist uh, Missionary Society. The other thing about William Carey, which is worth remembering, is that he wasn't sort of the, the flavor of the week when he went to the authorities and said, I think God's calling me to India. You know what happened, don't you? I read it to you. At the meeting of Baptist leaders in the late 1700s, a newly ordained minister stood to argue for the value of overseas mission. He was abruptly interrupted by an older minister who said, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. And that young man was William Carey who said, if they're not going to back me, I'll trust God. And he went out to India, and of course, the rest is history. What was his mantra? The thing we often remember, he said this, expect great things from God. Attempt great things from God. I guess there's everybody here. If I was to go around individually in the congregation, then I haven't got time to do that this morning and say, what do you expect from God? All of us would have something that we would say. But I was then to come around and say to you, and what are you attempting for God? What are you attempting for God? What are you going to do later today or this week or in the months to come? What are you planning, which is an attempt to do something for God? Ah, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where it knocks us out of our complacency. That's where it touches us in every area of our fiber and our being. But you see, you're standing on the shoulders of those who said, yes, I will go, and yes, I will be. That is what the church is about. And, 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 this is what searches through my heart as I share this morning. There are young people, even some of the young men in our congregation, who are looking to people like me, who are older. I've had my day, and they're saying, looking, and can I live? Can I reach up? Is that for me? Oops. I can get a bit worked up sometimes. Hold on, folks. And it's for the women too. Paul said in Timothy, tell the older women to teach the younger women. Hey, I'm coming back to it. Hey, who's going to stand on your shoulders? What are you inputting into somebody else about the kingdom of God? How are you inconveniencing yourself, giving up your time in order that somebody may learn from you that they may risk all for the kingdom of God? This is God's mission through the century. Those who say, not half measure, but full measure. Full measure, Lord Jesus. The current level, as I call it, and in one sense, there's to put a question mark at the end. I don't know when this finishes. You will have heard these names. If you haven't heard of them, go to the library, get a book, read about these exciting, thrilling people who did amazing exploits for God. Mary Slessor in the middle part of the 1800s. Hudson Taylor, who went to China and gave his life fully for that land and died there. C.T. Studd, the great English cricket man, Played for England in the tests. But then God got hold of his life and said, I want you to go to China. And he went and then ended up in India as well. Jim Elliot. You know Jim Elliot, do you? Or have we forgotten? 
who went because it had a heart for the Wandano Indians in South America, the most fierce tribe known to man just after the war. And he went there with his colleagues. I can't remember now if it was three or four of them. The next thing we heard after the plane took up and landed somewhere is that these young men were found dead on the beach. They never reached their goal, but they risked all and gave all, even their lives, because they're standing on the shoulders of those who have said, I will go, whatever the cost. The wonderful story that Jim Elliot's wife, Elizabeth Elliot, her husband having been murdered by them, two years later says, I'll go to those Indians. And because she went with another colleague, whose husband was also murdered, that tribe is now predominantly followers of Jesus. You think this is a world away from Norwich in 2019? Mm -mm. You will be faced this week because this is life with an opportunity to take a risk for Jesus, to step out for him. And why should you do it? Well, yes, because you've heard from God. Yes, because you're empowered with the Holy Spirit. But yes, also because you are surrounded by such a great group of uh, people who said, yes, it's getting lawless around here. Yes, things are not going well for the church. But he that endures to the end will be saved. I will go, Lord, and do what it costs and humble myself in that way. What are the key characteristics of those that we've looked through, many others. I have just picked those that I felt led by the Spirit when I was preparing. This is the challenge. This is what is for me and for you to abide by. We must lay, be like an athlete, laying aside all our heavy clothing. What holds you back from running in the race, as it's described in Hebrews 12 that I read? What's holding you back? What's slowing you down? Love of money, a wrong love for family. Listen to my words carefully. God's, our love for God is above our family. We have to trust the family to God. What is it that holds you back? Oh, I can't miss an episode of Coronation Street. Come to see me afterwards, I'll pray for you. No, 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 no. Or, you know, I've got, I've got things I love on the telly. There's nothing wrong with the telly. But if it controls our lives and our schedule and our destiny, it's become a God. Number two, what, must we lay, what sin must we lay aside that so easily surrounds us? What thing do you know is not pleasing to God? It's, I'm not talking about the obvious things here. The obvious things would be things like drink or drugs or smug uh, smuggling. Uh, you know, uh, things like, well, it might be you are a smuggler. I don't know from that point of view. You know, some form of sin in other lying, you know, not telling the truth. Or It could be all sorts of things. They're the obvious things. But what about the sin of not putting God first in your heart and life? What about not taking the responsibility? I've said this so many times. People hate me for saying it, but it always comes to me when I say this. It's been a challenge to me. I've failed miserably over the years. But men, rise up as priests in your homes. You are responsible for the, the spiritual atmosphere of your home, not your wife. Before God, you're equal as far as salvation is concerned. But God still says the man is the priest. 
You say when we'll pray. And you make sure that it is every day and you pray for your wife and your children. I'm just seeing where the door is. I need to run quickly. We must run with perseverance. I mean, you laugh, but I'm serious. When I look back and read these histories of people, they saw the importance of these things. And we men need to rise up in that way. And you women need to recognize that and allow your husband and encourage him. I would not be the man I was without the wife that I've got. She was the one who, when we first saved, said, David, we need to pray together. David, we need to read the Bible together. I was a reluctant person until I saw the truth that things that happened in my family to my children were a direct result because I hadn't risen into my priestly role. It is for you to stand there every day and say, I proclaim the armor of God over my family. Oh, where am I? You think I'm fanatic? Read the history books. We're building a tower. You're standing on some other people's shoulders. And there's people who are looking and want to stand on your shoulders. How well are we doing? Number four, we must look to Jesus, obvious. You must be in love with Jesus. Number five, we must have an unswerving faith in God's promises. Don't come under the influence of the enemy who said in the Garden of Eden, did God say? If it's in his word, he said it. Believe it. Stand on it. Live it. Every promise finds its yes and amen in Jesus Christ. If Paul believed that and wrote it in Corinthians, we should believe it too. Number six, we must be empowered with the Holy Spirit. One of the things that comes through all my reading I've done is that these people waited in Jerusalem till the power had come on high. Yes, we know that in Acts, but yes, it happened right through the centuries. People said, we're not satisfied. What we see in the book of Acts is not happening in our country, in our world today. Lord, pour your spirit out upon me. We want to be a people. That's why Paul said, seek to prophesy. Speak in tongues. I would not be standing here this morning. I give my testimony to you again. I am not a complicated person. I got three GCSEs. I never went to university, all right? But I fell in love with Jesus in my mid-twenties. I got baptized in his Holy Spirit. And all the time when I'm out in the car, when I'm at the bus stop, when I'm, everywhere I am, I'm praying in tongues. Why? Because my Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you educate yourself. I need education, folk. Maybe you've got it all together. But one reason to say, God, I want my own prayer language. You all know this. You've all been in church years. There are two gifts of the the Holy Spirit in tongues. One for prophetic utterance and interpretation in the church and the other, Paul clearly explains it in there, is as a personal prayer language. What happens when you use it as a personal prayer language? You get educated. I've stood in many pulpits around the world. I've heard things come out of my mouth and I think, where the earth did that come from? They're usually the things that people have said to me at the door that really spoke to me. Will you pray for me? And I know it's something that God has released in my spirit through my prayer language. Once released, it comes into my mind and I can use it whenever I, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. Are you pleased you came this morning?
Folks, I am sick and tired of living in an age where churches, not saying this church, but churches, seek to do the command of God, go and make disciples of all nations, but don't wait until they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit and with his gifts to do it. Number seven, we must have a deep risk-taking hunger for God's kingdom. What do I mean by that? I mean that we are dissatisfied. That when we look out into our world and the situations that we may face, let alone others that we love may face, and we see that God through Jesus showed us the way of the kingdom, no sickness, no disease, no uh, way in which the enemy can fill people's lives with spirit of addiction and, and crime and all the other things that the enemy does to throw people off. I want to see God do something different because his kingdom is a kingdom of peace. His kingdom is a people of health. His kingdom is a, people of a kingdom of freedom for people. And we have to find it for ourselves in order that somebody may stand on our shoulders and learn it from us and pass it on to another generation. Maybe some of us, myself included, need to be taking more risks for God. We say to you this, please, please hear my heart. I have not in any way got it together. I fail miserably every day and every week. But I hope and pray that God will help me still to focus on him and his way of doing things. Because there's always a way of repentance and of saying, God, I got it wrong. Please help me now to get it right. If you would like me to pray for you in that area. If you've longed for an extra dimension, dimension in, your, in your prayer. I don't know why I'm saying this. Lord, is it you? I think it is. One of the wonderful things that happens when you receive your own prayer. And I'm not majoring on tongues. Don't get that. But the amazing thing is I look into the world. I even look into my own family. I don't know how to pray for them. Words just don't seem to work or touch the situation. That's another wonderful benefit when you're filled with the Spirit and you can receive your own prayer language. You pray in the Spirit. And the wonderful thing about that is you can never pray in the Spirit selfishly because you're praying the prayer that God's Spirit puts in your spirit through a tongue that you do not know. And don't come to me afterwards and say it's a gift for some and not for others. My Bible says our God is a God who is not partial, does have, has no partiality in him. And if Paul said, I wish you would all pray in tongues, for me it's quite clear. Everybody who desires it can receive it. And I've seen it now in so many continents around the world. And where the church is growing, these people are coming in and, and seeing God in that way. Don't please, dear friends. Remain in second best for God. He wants you to have the whole package.
Two questions for us today. Forgive me if I've failed to show you the history of the centuries. But whose shoulders are you standing on? Who lifted you to the place that has brought you to where you are today? Think of the names. They may be some of those who you have never met, but you know through family history or even other history that they've influenced you, your family, your nation, your city in some amazing way. So friends, please don't forget question two. Who is looking to stand on your shoulders for the next generation? Who will you spend time with? Who will you pray with? Who will you try and bring to a new level of maturity, obedience, discipline, risk-taking, stature, maturity in Jesus Christ? It's nothing to do with age. It's to do with somebody who God places on your heart and you say, I'll spend time with that person. And help them in their journey. This is the God whose mission has never stopped through the centuries. And he's working now through the likes of you and me. Who choose to surrender all to him.